Shalom, and uh, welcome to the Souls on Fire series. And tonight's title is The Transformation of Blood and Frogs. In this week's Torah portion, we begin the ten plagues. Which are the two first of the ten plagues? The first plague was that all the water turned into blood, and all the and then all the frogs came out of the water. And our sages say it was actually one frog, and they kept on hitting it, and they kept on multiplying because of it. But either way, those were the two first plagues. Rashi quotes Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki, the great classic commentator from France in the 11th century. He quotes our sages saying that this was all part of the battle strategy. First you go ahead and you cut off the water supply, and then there's the creating a confusion and fear um, through huge amount of noise, which is the frogs, and so forth and so on. However, in Hasidus, we explain it on a deeper level, and we explain it on the personal level. When it comes to the Exodus, every teaching in the Torah is personalized. Every single teaching of the Torah, we need to ask ourselves, what does this teach me in Florida in 2013? But how much more so when it comes to the Exodus, when clearly we're commanded to say it every single day, at the end of the Shema, the third paragraph, to remember the exodus from Egypt. We're actually taught Bechol Dor Vador Chayav Adam in every single generation. The Alter Rebbe adds on every day, because you say the Shema every day, not only once a lifetime. In every single generation, and every single day, we are commanded to remember the exodus from Egypt. That means this entire battle between Pharaoh and Moses the entire battle between exile and exodus really isn't just something that happened in the year 2448. We're now in the year 5773. In the year 2448 was the exodus. So it's not something that happened so many years ago, but rather every single day we have this challenge. And is actually, it's the shortest chapter in Tanya actually explains specifically what it means that every single day we need to start by saying the limitations I have today is my Egypt, is my exile, and I am commanded to perform once again the exodus, to step out of my box. Now with that being understood, there's a very beautiful explanation how every single one of the ten plagues is part of the transformation from the arrogant Pharaoh who starts off by saying to Moses, and who is God that I should listen to him? To the point where he's in the middle of the night chasing Moses saying, God is right, and you can go. That transformation between the first stage of Pharaoh saying, who is God that I should listen to him? And the last stage of Pharaoh actually running after Moses, telling him, go. What took place in between those two paradigms of Pharaoh was the ten plagues. Thus, at some level, we can say that the ten plagues is a ten-step process of transformation. Because that's exactly what those ten plagues did. They transformed Pharaoh's hardened heart into an open heart. Now, based on what we've begun saying, explaining that the exodus isn't in Egypt, in Africa, 
and it isn't the Moses that lived over 3,000 something years ago, 3,300 something years ago, and it isn't about a Pharaoh that lived 3,300 something years ago, but rather it's talking about I Avrumi and you and you in Florida, in North Miami, in the year 2013, then we have to begin and understand, whoa, that means in me there's an arrogant Pharaoh that asks that same question. And who is God that I should not do what I want and do what he wants? Who is this God that's stopping me from pursuing my own pleasure? Who is this God that's telling me what I must do and what I may not do? There's that piece of us. There's that arrogant piece of us that refuses to surrender. Then there is the soul, the godly soul within us, which is the Moses. His paradigm is one where he actually sees and hears and breathes divinity. His feelings are one of love and fear for God. His natural state of being is obedience to God. For it recognizes its creator. It is a piece of his creator. So you have Moses, the godly soul, which is all about openness, surrender, willingness, oneness with God. Then you have on the other side of the equation, Pharaoh, which is the animalistic soul, which is all about I. I is the center of my being. And the one question I have for God is, what have you done for me lately? And why should I not do what I want and do what you want? There's the argument between the two. And the goal is, the words, I quote the words from the Alter Rebbe, founder of Chabad Lubavitch, the author of the Tanya, which says over and over in his famous book, Lekut Torah, Torah Or, he says over and over again that the soul did not descend for its own rectification because the soul had no blemishes. The soul at its first stage, the first time the soul came down here, in the first reincarnation, the soul was a pure, absolute, perfect piece of God. So why did it come down then? And the answer is because the soul has come down to deal with the animalistic soul and the physical world. Because it's God desire, God's desire that his abode should not be in the spiritual heavens, but in the physical world, in the most nether plane of reality where freedom of choice exists. Angels don't have freedom of choice. You can't have a freedom of choice if you cannot be a non-believer. Angels cannot be non-believers. Thus, there is no freedom of choice. It's only us who has the choice of to believe or not to believe, to do or not to do what God wants. That's where freedom of choice reigns. So the soul comes down here not to deal with itself because there was nothing wrong with it the first time around. So the soul comes down to deal with Pharaoh. That means that really what is the center ring? What is the main attraction? What is the purpose of life is actually not the godly soul. It's the animalistic soul. So the question boils down to can Moses, i.e. my godly soul, transform Pharaoh, i.e., my animalistic soul. So the focus of life is the transformation of Pharaoh. Because the soul on its own had no, no business or purpose being down here. And now all of a sudden we're hearing that the process of this transformation is the ten plagues. 
So we need to understand what the 10 plagues is all about. What I'm going to share with you tonight is just the first two. The first two of the 10 plagues are pretty much the foundation of the entire transformation. Of course, you need to go through all the, sta all the stages, all 10 stages, and then there's the process beyond the 10 stages of the 10 plagues explained in the Kabbalah and Hasidus, which is the process of going through the sea of reeds, the splitting of the sea, which we all have to perform in our own life. But tonight, we focus only on the first two. What is the first point of transformation? What is the first thing that Pharaoh needs to embrace? What is the first thing that Moses needs to penetrate Pharaoh with? In all processes of transformation, we need to back up for a moment. Transfer, before we talk, I'm sorry, back up for a moment. What is the most dominant part of the human psyche? We talk about transformation. What is the most dominant part of the human personality? And the answer will be always emotions. Now, back up for a moment. According to Kabbalah, the four categories, which is the inanimate mineral, which is the second one is the plant, and the third one is the animal, and the fourth one is the human being. Now, according to that, what we do say is that the animal represents the emotions, the human is gifted with intellect. Animals have emotions. Animals actually have greater emotions than we do. The raging lion. If you think about animals, their power of emotion is far greater than the power of the human emotions. Human beings have intellect, and intellect acts like the radiator to your car. What is the job of your radiator? It's the coolant. The same thing, the human intellect automatically cools off the emotions. So therefore, because humans have a higher intellect, that higher intellect automatically is the cooling system of the emotions. So in essence, the animal kingdom, its emotions are far more powerful than the emotions of the human race. Nevertheless, the main dominant force of the human being is not intellect. And you and I both painfully know that. We can sit down now and discuss at great length the importance of healthy food, dieting, exercising. We will all truly understand how important that is to our health and how much we're suffering because we don't do it. And until next year, New Year's, we won't even talk about it. Next year, New Year's, we'll make another resolution and it'll last for another two days and there we go. But one second. If intellect is the most dominant force of the human being, and if life were to be, for I know, therefore I am, we would all look very different. Our mind knows a lot more than we're willing to live with. So obviously to know is to be doesn't exist by the average human being. What is the greatest driving force of the human being is his emotions. Most of us, most of us will act
most of us will be pushed into action by either love, fear, anger. It's not because our brain understands what's right and what's wrong. How often do we know what's right, but we're too afraid to do it? How often do we know what's wrong, but our anger or our passion slash love led us to do it? So really the most dominant part of the human being is not his intellect, it's his emotions. The difference between the emotions of the human being and the emotions of the animal is that the emotions of the human being are supposed to be the offspring to intellect. Study, concentration, and meditation is supposed to give birth to emotions. It's not about read it once and know it and understand it well, but rather the most important part of the three intellects in when it comes to birthing process of emotions is the third one called dat, knowledge, which in Kabbalah really does not mean data, the way we call knowledge, an accumulation of data. Oh, he's a very knowledgeable person. That's not what it means in the Torah. The word dat means personalization. We're talking about my God, my life, my journey. And the personalization of the intellect is what allows the intellect to consummate with the heart. And now we have what we call a knowing heart. And now all of a sudden our emotions are very different than the animal kingdom. So the challenge, so to say, if I wanted to line things up, I would say Moses is in your brain. Pharaoh is in your heart. And the real question is whether we can get through the neck so that the mind can actually dominate the heart. And this, this does happen. I, I, I don't want to talk spiritually yet. Let's first talk about physically. There are times when we would do something or we would eat something until we found out what we didn't know and we'll never touch it again. We're actually disgusted by it. Sometimes you have smokers who have someone very close to them all of a sudden with lung cancer from smoking and they stop smoking Because now it's not just a study. It's not just a scientific study. It's what we call my flesh When the intellect touches your flesh when the intellect is that close to home and that personal all of a sudden our emotions kick in and our emotions kick in in accordance to our intellect but that, if you would say, is the actual war because the heart is the place of exile. The mind is the place of exodus on a certain level. It even gets higher than that because the mind itself can sometimes be the greatest exile. But for the norm, we're just talking here, you know, stage 101. When you can't control your heart, when you can't say, when you can't tell yourself, I'm not eating this because I know that I can't eat this. I need to lose weight. I get headaches from chocolate, whatever it is. When you helplessly eat it because your heart is dominating, then you're in exile. And that's why our sages say the wicked 
are in the possession of their heart, while the righteous, the heart is in their possession. Who owns who? If your heart owns you, and you can't do what you know you have to do, and you can't not do what you know when you what you know you shouldn't do. In that situation, you're in exile. But when the brain can study something and therefore immediately say, Whoa, no more. I just realized what I was doing was wrong. I'll tell you an interesting story. The sixth Labavacharebbe, for health reasons, when he came to America, he used to smoke. And for health reasons, the doctor told me I should stop smoking. The previous Rebbe got so sensitive to smoke after he stopped smoking, he actually told the boys that would study on the, on the bottom floor in the yeshiva, please don't smoke because it, that's how much it affected him. But as the doctor is sitting there, gives us a whole checkup, and the doctor tells the previous Rebbe, you can't smoke no more. Okay. After they finished the checkup, the, previous, the doctor sat down to talk with the previous Rebbe, continued just the conversation, and he pulled out a cigarette and he asked the previous Rebbe, would you like one? The previous Rebbe said, you just told me I can't smoke no more. And he looked at the previous Rebbe and said, that's it? You stopped cold turkey? He said, you told me I can't smoke no more. That's freedom. Most of us can't do that. So when we talk about the process of transformation, we're talking about Moses in the brain breaking through the barriers and reaching Pharaoh in the heart. Now let's go one step further. Water into blood and frogs. Blood represents what? Passion, heat. You say someone, you know, the, the blood got to his head. He's raging. Or when a person is in, in the, the thrust of passion. The blood. Blood equals passion, heat, love, desire. Frogs are very interesting. There's a book which is basically an encyclopedia. It's called Seifa Erchen. This book, actually, it lists things according to the Torah. It defines a scorpion as being heat, passion, heat of the poison. And over there, when it talks about the frogs, it defines frogs as coldness. That's what the frog is. The water, it's cold. So what's the first two plagues? Heat, passion, and we talk about the coldness. The first question you're going to have to ask yourself, and I'm going to have to ask myself, in transformation from the mind to the heart, from the ego pharaoh, who is God that I should listen to him, to the open, willing pharaoh of Moses, you are right and your God is right. The first step of that transformation is going to be passion. Because if we're not engaging your emotions, we're not engaging transformation. One of the biggest challenges I have personally in my own life, and that's the way I, I represent when I serve, is that most often I approach things intellectually, cerebrally. And that's a big problem because intellect does not really work if we cannot find a way to connect it to the heart. So if the major dominant force of the human being is emotions, you understand that for transformation to take place, we need to attack where? The emotions. 
Very often, I actually had a story like this, very interesting. I met a guy in Israel, and he tells me, when I was on one of the missions, became very close friends to our families. And he tells me, I want to study with you, but I clearly want to tell you that I have no interest in changing how I live. But I do want to understand intellectually. I want to know my people. I want to know my Torah. I want to know my religion. Very often, that's what happens. Very often we tell ourselves, listen, 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 don't get worried. I'm not, I'm not getting emotional. I'm not planning to make any changes. But hey, I read Spinoza. I read a little bit of this, a little bit of that. How about reading a little bit of my own? Intellectually, I'd love to sign up for a class. You have great classes, intellectual classes, great orators, amazing. They wow the mind. But nothing happens then. Transformation will not take place. The first plague hit directly into where transformation takes place. The heart, the emotion, the most dominant of emotions, love. Love. Napoleon Hill writes in his book, Think and Grow Rich, that every single successful person that he's interviewed either was in love with his wife or unfortunately had a mistress. Love drives you to do what ordinarily you would just back out of doing. I say that most wars in the history of mankind were over women. Love, passion. And that's the first attack. And the question of plague number one is a very simple question. What, it's, it's actually twofold, but let's start with the first most important question. What passion and pleasure are you willing to give up for your transformation? That's the question. I mean, let's ask a very open question. How many times have you asked your doctor that you want to be fit and what can you can do, build up your immune system and feel better? And most of the times, he's, the answer is the same answer. We all know the answer. Eat healthy and do exercise. Do you know what he really just told you? How badly do you want to be healthy? Are you willing to give up the foods you enjoy? Are you willing to do exercise that none of us want to do? We're all excited for the first week. We actually always go out. We get ourselves the most fanciest sneakers, of course. <laughs> every time, every time we make a resolution to lose weight and go to the gym, the first thing we do is buy fancy clothes, fancy sneakers, and a lock for the locker. And usually, <laughs> either we do or don't get to take it out of its wrapper. So really, the first question of makat dam, the first question, you're talking about transformation? You're talking about changing? Well, first of all, no, it ain't going to happen in the brain. It's going to happen in the heart. And now that we know it's going to happen in the heart, let's, let's get straight to playing hardball. What are you willing to give up for your transformation? Where did I read this once? <laughs> I read an article of some, of some actress that had to lose weight immediately for, for her part. I don't know what. I remember where I read this. And she says, the hardest thing for me to give up was my nighttime chocolate chip cookies and milk. But I give her credit. She was honest. She got straight to the bottom of it. I'm willing to give up this, 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 this. But this one, I'm struggling with. That's the question of the first plague. The water, the blood, talk to me. You want transformation? What are you willing to give up? 
What do you really like? What really excites you? What are you passionate about? What do you love? And if that is a contradiction to the transformation you're looking for, are you willing to give it up or not? The second one is, which is actually a twin to the first one, is the next step. What are you willing to become sensitive about? Apathy. So frogs actually is the shadow of blood. What are you willing to start taking personal? I've shared this story more than once in my lectures and classes. I'll share it again. I was sitting by a table, giving a class. It was actually a Parsha class. A good, uh, wow, 17 plus years ago. And someone came very excited to the class that some pharmaceutical company announced that they just had a huge major breakthrough in finding a cure, some type of medicine for a specific cancer. And everyone by the table got excited. Unfortunately, there aren't many human beings that don't know someone close to them that has, uh, unfortunately, dealing with that, that struggle. One guy sitting by the table, I'll never forget this, without a blink of an eye, asked, you know what their symbol is? Because what he was sensitive to was, wow, this stock is going to go up. And I don't blame him. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not criticizing him. I'm not calling him nasty or nothing. Maybe he didn't have anyone close to him that had that, that sickness. But we all are sensitive to some stuff and totally not sensitive to other stuff. So the question is, are you willing to become sensitive to certain things? If you want to get involved, if you want to start reaching out community, if you want to start connecting with your soul, then you've got to be willing to give up apathy to certain things. That whoop de doo or that infamous statement, Oy, that should be my worst sin. Unbelievable how many sins we commit with that license. Oh, that should be my worst sin. So what happens is there are certain things we're not sensitive to, and now if we want transformation, can we learn to become sensitive to that? On a very basic level, guys, can Friday night become something that we're sensitive to? To seeing our kids at our Shabbos table, making a kiddush, lighting a Shabbos candle, making a mozi, is that something we can become sensitive to? Oh, we all remember how we cried as our young little darling in the first grade put up the Hanukkah play. We were all sensitive to our child performing the first play. How about being sensitive to seeing your child light candles? How about being sensitive to seeing your child make kiddush? And if we're not willing to become sensitive, we're not willing to give up apathy and become sensitive to certain things, then transformation is not going to happen anytime soon. So these first two plagues are attacking the capital of Pharaoh. It's, it's laid right in there. It's the smart bomb. Knows exactly where it's heading for. Oh, you want transformation? Talk to me about your passions. Which one are you willing to hand over? You're talking about transformations? Talk to me about apathy. Which things are you starting to be willing to just stop brushing off 
and realize, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm brushing off precious gems as if it was dust. These two opening plagues is where the war begins. Until then, they were just playing softball. He told him, he answered, and he studied, I looked it up, I never found such a God, he's not in my directory. It's all softball. Transformation's not happening there. They're just courting each other. These are two enemies trying to court each other onto the war, war battlefield. The war begins when we're willing to talk tachlis. Talk to me. Transformation. Again, before we even get spiritual, I just brought the most simple example we all deal with day in and day out after the age of 21. <laughs> Losing weight, being fit. One of the worst Spanish words I've ever heard is one called ojala. You know what that is in Yiddish? Halavai. If only. There is no if only. Transformation doesn't happen by ojalas or halavais. The other one, <laughs> I always love when I ask someone a question about something Jewish. God willing. And I always tell them, God's willing, how about you? That's the first two plagues. That is where the war begins. Talk to me about which passion you're willing to hand over. And talk to me about which cold apathy you're willing to let go of. And be willing to be vulnerable and sensitive to this. Once you're willing to even sit down and identify like that actress did. I'm not even talking tonight about handing it over. I'm talking about at least to identify it. Put it down on the table. God, these are the things I do. A, C, and F, I'm willing to hand over. B and D and E, mm, I'm not ready, God. Okay, now we at least know. We know what's laying there. We know what I am willing to hand over, which is huge. I know what I'm not willing to hand over yet. Okay, for those, I'll pray for willingness. I know which things I'm willing to become vulnerably sensitive to. I know which things, God, I'm sorry, they just don't mean anything to me. A lot of people I have like that. Rabbi, do me a favor, leave me alone, I'm not going to shul, but I want to meet with you once a week, I want to learn. But, you know someone that needs help, call me up. I'll give you a check. Don't tell them who gave it to you and hand it over. Okay, that's fair. I'm willing to become sensitive to another Jew in need. I'm willing to become sensitive to ignoramus I have in my own religion. The ignorance. But I'm not willing to become sensitive to becoming a shul person yet. I'm just not there, Rabbi. It's Saturday morning. <laughs> I just don't do that. Just the honesty of it is already dealing with the first two plagues. Is already allowing the transformation to begin to settle in. And then step by step we get there. And that's it for tonight, guys.